Logo Geeks, it's Ian Paget here. I'm back with another podcast that's created to help you make a living designing logos. On this week's show, I'm going to be joined by Fungi Debay to discuss her transition from science to graphic design. But before we get into that, I want to thank the sponsor of this week's episode, The Perfect Match, a game where designers submit mood boards created using Adobe Stock Assets. And if your amazing meatball design is chosen, you will be featured on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show with other talented designers, art directors, and creatives where the winner goes home with $1,000. It's totally free to participate in the perfect match. And by simply submitting an entry, Adobe will give you a gift for your time. So to learn more about that and to enter, visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash logogeek. So this week, I'm going to be joined by Funky DeBay, a brand identity designer from Zimbabwe. I was introduced to Fungi by my friend Ben Louise, who's been a previous guest on the podcast. Uh, she's an absolutely talented designer. Uh, her packaging and identity design work in particular is beautiful. Um, so it's really worth checking out her portfolio. So when Fungi first started her studies, her area of focus was actually science. And she ultimately started a career pursuing that direction as well. But she eventually wanted to work in graphic design. And with hard work and determination, uh, she succeeded by teaching herself everything that she needed to know to become a successful self-employed graphic designer. So it's this pivot that I was keen to discuss in detail with Fungi. So it's the bulk of the discussion. But near the end of the conversation, we also talk about her passion for African design and how the designers of Africa today are in this exciting position where they can document the design history of the country and share it with the world. So let's just get straight into this. Here is the interview with Fungi DeBay. Something I find really interesting about your story is that you are not a trained graphic designer. You actually originally studied as a scientist. But what you've done is that you've been able to pivot and now you're doing graphic design. And based on your portfolio, you're you're a very good graphic designer as well. So I want to dive into this story because I, I think there might be people listening that might be studying a completely unrelated field and they might potentially want to go into graphic design. So I want, I want to put some focus on this as part of this interview. So let's start off by talking about why did you originally study science? Um, so it's actually like a question that I get asked a lot and I am always happy to answer it because um, when I think of how everything came to be, it's actually kind of weird and crazy and doesn't really make that much sense. <laughs> but um, 
I feel like I always had like creative inclinations as I was growing up. So I was that child who would like, you know, like DIY, like special occasion cards for my family members. And Mm -hmm. I would draw all the cartoons that I loved. So Big Bird from like Sesame Street, um, uh, Looney Tunes characters. Like that's what everyone would get on their card because that's what (laughs) you wanted. Yeah, I think most, you know, most creative kids, they, they tend to copy their favorite characters and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that went on for a while. So in primary school, I was still doing that. And then I went off to high school. And I could have easily like taken up art. But I never did, actually, because I feel like there was some unwritten law, especially when you're like in an African household that tells you that you have to take a more traditional route when it comes to, uh, you know, like, your future career and stuff like that so it never really dawned on me that I could have like done something to do with you know like computer graphics or like technical drawing or you know just like general art so I went on to study science like you just said and I did that for my A uh, for my A levels as well and then went off to uni and then I did a double major in human anatomy and physiology and biochemistry which I absolutely loved because uh, that part still is something that is at my core and is like, um, a, a, I guess like a major identifier for me when it comes to like my personality and things that intrigue me and that sort of thing. Um, but it, the the graphic design or the design aspect of it actually was purely like circumstantial because I graduated in 2014 and I came back home. So I was in South Africa. I came back home. And I was job hunting for like five months and I could not get anything anywhere. I was just being met with rejection emails like left, right and center. And I was getting so frustrated. So I decided that I needed to teach myself a new skill to curb my frustration. And lo and behold, I didn't even know how it happened, which is why I said it's a like freak chance because I logged on to YouTube and the top recommended video was, oh, learn Photoshop. Um with Gareth, um, uh, David Gareth Studio, I think Gareth David Studio, Tasty Tuts. <laughs> That's how I know. <laughs> I what I do is I'll I'll search for it on YouTube, and if it's still there, I'll put a link in the show notes because I think people will probably be interested to see what it was you you was watching. <laughs> yeah, so he has like these amazing like tutorials where you can learn like Photoshop and like Illustrator, and I just was like, oh, let me just tap into this. What is it? So I opened the first video and I was completely blown away. I was like, you're telling me that people can do this with their computers? What? So I think like the the that creative instinct within me was sort of a, like, you know, just awoken. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I started learning and instantly I was hooked. I was on my computer 24 7, 24 8, 25 8, like what <laughs> Because I was just like so intrigued by the fact that people could create art like using computers like that. Um, so I did eventually like land a day job, which I would go to, but I would come back home and I would burn the midnight oil just trying to learn everything and absorb all this design information and like you know, just really see how I could explore this new world. And it was the most fascinating thing for me. 
So Amazing. I think... Just before you go too far, there's a couple of things that I, I feel is worth breaking down with this initially. So there was something that you said earlier about um, how, I guess, it's part of your family or part of your culture about kind of being expected to go down a certain direction. So you, you chose the sciences because it's more academic. Was that kind of expected by your family? And, and if that was the case, what did they think about you when you started looking into like non-science-based stuff to get into? Um, so it definitely was an expectation, I, I feel, uh, because what actually happened with me is when I was going through... Um, um, induction week um so my first week of university like I got cold feet uh because I went to all of these like introductory like presentations by all these different lecturers you're like this is the hardest thing you're ever going to do um so you better make sure that you pull your socks up and everything like that like you know the that kind of conversation and I just got so scared so I called back home and I was like, I can't do this. I think I want to change faculties because they're saying all of these things. And it was like such an issue. And this is still out of love because um, like I'm saying, in, in our households and everything like that, like I think that's what made sense to our parents and they didn't really get that you could do something outside of the traditional route. So mm-hmm. I was getting like phone calls from like my aunts being like, we heard that you want to change uh, programs. You can't do that. You have to stick with it. And I was like, okay, okay, I guess. So it was definitely an expectation for sure. Like, I don't think that I could have easily said, hey, like, I want to be able to go and study graphic design. Not because they would have said no, but um, there just wasn't a general understanding that you could pick up something creative as a full-time career and a long-term career. Yeah, I think there's the general expectation, isn't there, that um, like the the whole starving artist yeah, thing exactly. that, uh, but if you was to go down more of an academic route, like science, maths, or something like that, it feels like you know if, if you're not familiar with the industry anyway, it feels like that's a safer direction, and you're more likely to get a successful job in anything just because you have this uh, science based degree. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's good to talk about this type of thing because there could be somebody out there listening that's potentially in the same situation as you mm-hmm. and actually they're not happy and actually they would prefer to do something else. But I, I think it's good that, you know, the two of us here, we've both been able to take the avenue of working on graphic design and both of us are self-taught. And I, I think that's... Um, especially in your case since you went to university you studied um I don't know how long you would have studied for but you studied for a length of time science-based stuff and then you moved into a completely unrelated field so that's a complete pivot whilst in my case I wanted to go down that route from the beginning um so I was quite fortunate in that sense that uh even though I don't have any formal qualifications I I was able to get a a uh, an opportunity early on in my career so that I was able to become a, a graphic designer. Okay, so one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, you said uh, that you got your first job and then when you got home, you was working on, uh, you know, carrying on learning about graphic design in your free time. Was that job related to the sciences or was it just any job that you could get? 
Um, so it did cover a little bit of what I had studied. So it had to do with the human anatomy side of my degree. So I was working uh, in sports and conditioning in a in a private primary school. Um, that's what I was doing. So yeah, had absolutely nothing to. I mean, it did have something to do with what I studied, but not completely because that is what I could get. So I stuck with it um, mm-hmm. all for some time. For six yeah. years, actually, it's yeah, precise. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, and you you start telling us about how you went about teaching yourself, and um, if I'm understanding right, basically using YouTube and learning stuff from YouTube, you started with Photoshop. I think one of the challenges with teaching yourself is that you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so how? How did you go from being someone that was just interested in this and, you know, spending your free time learning Photoshop to being to the point where you was good enough to actually become a graphic designer full time? Um, oh, gosh, that is such an interesting question. I love that because the beginning of everything was purely chaotic. Um okay. Like you say, I had no clue what I was doing. And I, I can honestly say that I was winging it. Um, getting to that point of probably becoming more professional was because I just kept experimenting. I got to a point where I felt like, hey, like, I think I'm proficient enough to design something for someone. And my first paying customer or client was actually one of my cousins who had a newborn baby and they were having a baby shower. And they're like, hey. Uh, do you think that you could make like a little e-invite for us? I was like, oh yeah, sure. And he's like, oh, and I'll pay you. I was like, wait, what? People get paid to do this? Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> my family member is the one who paid, who got me my first paid gig. So I think that's when it kind of dawned on me, like a light bulb moment where you're like, hey, I can actually charge people for my services. And even then, like my work was not great. Like we all start somewhere. I look at it now and I kind of cringe, but I'm proud of it because that's the best that I could do at the time. Uh, But I just started sort of like, you know, like self-marketing, like I'll put up little flyers or business cards that I had done for made up clients on my WhatsApps and just be like, hey, like if you're looking for someone um, to do this kind of work for you, I can do it. Um, so I actually got my first corporate client uh, through that because someone referred me to someone and they were like, oh, maybe you should try it out. Like she's just starting out, so she's not going to charge you much. So you could actually like, you know, get some good work for a very like reasonable price. It wasn't reasonable. It was super low. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, well, I, I think the important thing with this, and I, I did similar, to be honest. So, like, in, in my case, I think my first paying client outside of a job, like, I, I was lucky in the sense that I was able to get a, a graphic design job in terms of, like, working for myself. Uh, one of the first things I did, I think it was a friend at work uh, she was in like this motorcycle group and she wanted me to do a logo for her jacket mm-hmm. and she she drew it out and she wanted me to to put it together for her it took me a couple of evenings and I think she paid me like 20 pounds you know like a really yeah. low yeah a fairly low amount of money 
but I was happy with that. You know, it was, I was doing it for a friend. It was fun. I enjoyed it. It was in my free time. So, you know, I, I was already making money anyway from a full-time job uh, in, in a similar way to you, because it sounds like you were in a full-time job and this was something that you was doing in your free time. So financially, I'm making assumptions here. You was probably fine. Like, so yeah. any money is like just nice to have. And for you, it's probably more important to actually get that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think another good thing about your uh, story so far that I think people can learn from is that you said that you started promoting what you was doing. And uh, you, you mentioned about doing business cards and flyers and all this sort of stuff. And I think the advantage of doing that is that you're basically letting people know that you are offering this service. And it sounds like one of the people that you spoke to spoke to someone else. And that's how you got your first client. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's word of mouth. So, you know, if, if for, for listeners, for, for anyone that wants to start doing this, and wants to get opportunities, I think it's good to even though you, you might think that you're not good enough yet, you can start to offer it, but like you did at a low price because you want the opportunity more than the money. And I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I definitely agree with you because like uh, when I then eventually got my first corporate job, I designed a logo for them. I designed um, a letterhead and a business card. Oh, and some corporate flies as well because they were like marketing some of their products. And I got, and I charged him $50, 50 United States dollars for all of that work. And they were a massive corporate. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so expensive. Like, how am I even charging them this much? But that was back then. And, you know, like, you don't really like, like you're saying, like, it's not really about, oh my gosh, I must make like $10,000 right now. But it's more like, I felt more like I had the opportunity to actually like create something and to learn from it and to have my work be out there. So I wasn't super pressed um, with regards to how much I had charged them, which I, again, I thought that was like an astronomical number at the time. Um, but I was more into the fact that I had an opportunity to actually create and grow as I was starting off my journey. So yeah. 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 And I think that it's important that you brought that up because, um, I mean, in, in that particular case, you, you charge some amount of money. It was a relatively low amount of money for the amount of work that you did. But something that I see discussed a lot in uh, like Facebook groups and, and in the graphic design communities is basically not to work for free or not to work for small amounts of money, but actually when you're early in your career and you don't have any experience yet, actually it's a good idea to take on those projects because the, the, the work is of more value to you than it probably is to the client because you want to be able to do some good work. Uh, it's good to have a brief. It's good to work with somebody so that you learn how to collaborate with a, a, a client. And, you know, at the end of that process, yeah, you got a little bit of money in, in that case. And uh, if you was doing a full-time job at the same time, you know, that money is great, you know, because any money is extra money on, on the top of that. Mm -hmm. um, so when I used to do that type of thing, I used to think, 
oh, I can buy a new computer game or something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the beauty of that is that once you've done that work, you can then create a portfolio piece and you can show that off to other potential clients and you can get a, like a, uh, a testimonial from that client as well. So that is of greater value to you because now you can show that off to other people. Especially yeah. if you hadn't done that before, this is now a new thing that you can potentially offer and show to other people. So I, I think what you did was totally right. And it sounds like a, you know, a bit of a win for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, from what I understand, at this particular point, you was in a job that was relevant to your studies. And then in your free time, you was teaching yourself graphic design, getting really into it, getting a few bits of work from like friends and family. You wasn't charging much, but it was great because you was getting the experience building up your portfolio and stuff like that. How did you go from, you know, doing it kind of as a bit of a hobby to actually getting to the point where you could go all in on this and, and be a full time graphic designer? Um, so I would say it's like natural progression, right? Like the more you do something, the more confident you get, uh, the more proficient you get. It sort of um, naturally follows that you would want more out of it. And because it was something that I was really, really, really into, I just decided to take a very bold move and see what I could do with it and how I could grow it. So I want to say that probably midway through my formal employment, so like three years in after having um, started learning, I started getting better clients, like more quality clients. And I started working on projects that were a little bit more exciting, where the scope was a little bit bigger. And that is probably when it dawned on me that I could turn it into something uh, full time. And I would most probably really enjoy doing it full time because design really had my heart at that point. So fast forward, I did end up leaving my job um, under very unsavory circumstances. Uh, but it is a blessing in disguise because I wouldn't be anywhere else and I wouldn't be doing anything other than what I'm doing right now because I really, really, really love being uh, a part of the design community. Um, yeah, so that's that's probably how it happened. And then I, yeah, so decided to make the bold and scary move of, of making a career pivot. I had planned for it somehow. Uh, so I had sort of put savings aside because I wasn't sure what like a creative solopreneur, solopreneurial journey was going to look like. And I wanted to make sure that I at least had a safety net if, you know, like the first couple of months were going to be like super quiet, not that I was like full time. Um, but then I also ramped up like, you know, like my my personal branding strategy and like my marketing strategy and like completely shifted my online persona because I used to tweet about anything and everything to do with my regular, regular life. But I was like, no, I want for people to know me as a full time graphic designer now. So I need to change how I how I speak, how I sound on online and that sort of thing. So I completely changed everything. I saved up money and I got like a very good like professional photo shoot done. Like I started like I worked on my personal branding, like I worked on uh, refocusing my content and everything like that um, because I just knew that it wasn't going to be easy, but at least I needed to make sure that I put myself in a position where I could potentially win. Um, so, yeah, 
that's that's pretty much how I am where I am now. <laughs> okay, okay. There's a lot to unpack here. So I, I think something that's important again to flag is this wasn't an overnight thing. You you didn't just decide I'm going to be a graphic designer and then like next day go full time. It was it was a gradual thing. So your story is actually quite similar to mine in that you found something that was of interest to you. You was learning it in your own free time and you was doing that gradually over a number of years. So I think you mentioned like three years into your full-time job. So, you know, over the space of three years, you can learn a lot. And I, I, I think it's really great now. I, like when, when I started learning graphic design, I don't think YouTube was there, which makes me feel really old. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, when I started to learn graphic design, I found some videos, but it wasn't YouTube because I really don't think YouTube existed when I started doing this. But yeah, similar story in terms of like learning at home, practicing, improving. It's a gradual, slow thing. And over those three plus years, you were able to learn, practice, do work for friends and family, um, take on projects for real clients for small amounts of money, and then build up that portfolio so that when you did get to the point where um, something happened with your full-time job, you could you had a platform there already, you had experience already so that you could actually step down and and make that leap yeah and I, I think another thing that's good to uh flag up from your story is that you didn't just jump into it without any like safety net and I think having a financial safety net is really important as well and I also did the same thing when I took the leap to full time because when you eventually work for yourself it can be quite scary especially you know there's even if you dabble in it, even if you do, like I, I was doing stuff part-time, going from doing a couple of days a week to being completely full-time, it is a bit of a jump and it's good to have that financial safety net. So if for whatever reason you don't get any clients, you don't need to go into panic mode. Because <laughs> yeah. I think that's one of the worst things when you work for yourself is going into this oh my God, I need clients. You start getting really stressed. You start taking on work that you shouldn't do. Yeah. Uh, you start dragging your prices down and actually you just end up getting into a situation. But when you've got that safety net, you don't need to panic because you're going to be okay. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And another thing from what you mentioned, reputation is really important. So right from early on in your story, you decided that you wanted to do graphic design and you started to tell friends and family and I think that's quite you know that's that's a very basic thing but that alone got you your first few clients but now you know when you eventually decided or, or when you was in the position where you needed to work for yourself you started to look at your social presence and rather than just posting about life <laughs> you started to clean up and post about industry relevant stuff and I think what that does is it makes sure that everybody that's connected to you is aware that you are doing this graphic design thing now that you can help people in graphic design and I think reputation is fundamentally one of the most important things and 
what I feel as a graphic designer is your most valuable asset. Because if people know you for doing something and they believe that you're very good, you will get opportunities because all you need to do is just make sure that more and more and more people know you. And if you have a strong reputation, then it's great. But I think as you do more and more work, work with bigger clients, uh, get involved in more things, um, you know, be that like, you know, you're coming on this podcast. I think that should help towards reputation as well. Um, but all these little things that you've done, so, you know, going out, getting a professional photo shoot, that all helps towards how people perceive you and what your reputation looks like to potential clients. Mm-hmm. I interrupt this interview for a short message from the sponsor of this episode, The Perfect Match, a game where designers submit mood boards created with Adobe stock assets and earn your chance to play on a game show to win big. As designers, we pitch good vibes and great ideas through visuals all day, every day. But how well does our design communicate? Do clients and higher-ups really understand the work we put in front of them? Well, let's find out. Test your skills by assembling a brand-inspired mood board with Adobe stock images to the perfect match. And if your skillful product is chosen, you will be featured on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show with other groovy designers, art directors, and creatives where the winner goes home with $1,000. It's free to participate in the perfect match. And if you submit an entry, Adobe will give you a gift for your time. To take part and to learn more, visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash logogeek. That's theperfectmatch.co forward slash logogeek. So now let's get back to the interview. Okay, so you spoke about scrubbing up your social media and getting a photo shoot. Did that have like an immediate impact for you? Um, It was definitely a slow burner, if I can say so, like a climb up a hill. Uh, because yeah. I think the common misconception is that people believe that once you have like a plan, right, and you put it... um. And you start executing it like things are just going to happen. But the honest truth is that not all of us go viral overnight. Um, It's actually a lot of hard work that goes into this. Mm -hmm. And you have to be prepared for it to take a little bit longer. So I did these things. And I think that I was probably in that position. I was like, oh, surely, because everything looks like squeaky clean and looks good, right? I should just like blow up and everything should just work but that's not how it works because then it means that you've got to you know consistently like produce like good quality work like you have to consistently get your message out there you have to join communities you have to engage with other people in the community and that is something that is progressive so it definitely did help because when it got to that point where I was like oh a lot more people are seeing my work or someone retweeted my work or someone shared my work on LinkedIn. Um, It did help that I did have like that professional outlook and or I guess that professional look 
uh, because I had sort of put all of those foundational steps in place before I actually started doing anything else. Um, but that is not to say that a good profile picture or a good headshot is going to get you there. You definitely have to put in all the work and make sure that you're patient enough for the process and you trust the process because it is going to take some time for you to get to where you need to get to. Yeah, I appreciate the honesty. And uh, again, I can very much relate with that because there's there's things that you're going to do. Um, you know, you I, I think everybody gets to that point where they want to reinvest in themselves in some way and doing all that work it doesn't directly get you clients but what it does do is improves people's perception of you Mm -hmm. and I think you know going from having maybe like a scrappy portfolio of bits and pieces all over the place to suddenly having like this really nice website with a decent portfolio with decent photo shoot and all this sort of stuff that what that does is it doesn't attract clients but it does um probably increase your conversion rate Mm -hmm. and uh gives you a stronger platform to ask for more money because people see you in a different way and it goes back to what i said about reputation like how do people perceive you so early on you actually mentioned that you got some work because somebody recommended you you to them and they specifically said you're just starting out so she's going to be cheap yeah (laughs) that was how people perceive you because you're new you're just starting out and they know that they could take advantage of that (laughs) and I mean there's nothing wrong with that but that's how people start out but now you got to this point where you got more experience and you want to show to show the world that you are confident you know what you're doing you're going to be able to uh, provide a professional experience and uh I'd like to think at that point when you did get clients more people were saying yes or you were able to ask for more money or this sort of stuff Mm -hmm. yeah definitely Uh, with time you definitely do get to that point where like you're saying um how people generally online perceive you changes because of how you have positioned yourself because of how you present your work so you are in a position where you can command like higher prices and you're also in a position where naturally clients start to gravitate more towards your work because they're looking for your specific service because you have put in the time to make sure that people are aware that you do that specific thing and you do it really well um so yeah yeah it sounds like as well with a lot of what you learn so um like we were saying earlier in the conversation when you start out you you don't know anything like you literally don't know what you need to do and you're frantically learning there's all this stuff online there's just endless amounts of things but it sounds like you and I don't know where this would have came from so maybe you can elaborate but it sounds like you started to understand marketing and positioning and um all this sort of stuff was was that learned from books or is that again from YouTube <laughs> Um, so I think it was a bit of both, actually, uh, where you sort of start tapping into other people's marketing strategies. So I was on Instagram and there are a lot of like amazing carousels that people put out of how to build a strong personal brand, like make sure you do this, how to develop a marketing strategy. So I would follow those kind of accounts and just tap into their like wisdom. But I would also watch YouTube and I'll read books. One of the books that really helped me is called This is Marketing by Seth Godin, where he talks about you cannot be seen until you learn how to see. 
Um, and I think it's such a brilliant book because it just shows you that in order for people to be aware of what you do, you have to be visible. If you're hidden and if they have no trace of what you do, they're never going to know that you can do exactly what they need to be done. So I just sort of like got resources from like different places and um, apply that to my own like uh, personal strategy. And also, I mean, bearing in mind that everyone is different and we all, you know, like sound different and look different and our work is different and that sort of thing. So I needed to make sure that it was something that I could tailor to eventually where I wanted to be and how I wanted people to perceive me and my work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, I, I think we we have a really similar uh, journey in terms of how we how we learn, and I think people that are self taught go down this same rabbit hole. So you, uh, like we've already spoken about, you you taught yourself the uh, graphic design skills initially with Photoshop, but then you went down the a rabbit hole that I think a lot of designers do, where you become fascinated with marketing, with branding. Um, and there's so much stuff, like there's so many books, there's so many videos, there's so many podcasts, there's loads of information out there. And I think if you are curious, like if we both are, then you just end up going down this rabbit hole and just learning and consuming and, um, you know, really studying different areas. And, um, yeah, I I, I think we're very fortunate that that the internet makes this stuff a lot easier yeah because it's just endless resources to actually learn how to be uh successful as a graphic designer or or like a a business owner even Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. definitely and I believe that everyone out there who is probably thinking of going on a self-taught journey should utilize all the free resources that are at their disposal before they even pay a dime for a paid course I paid courses are amazing um, and they're extremely beneficial. But if you know that you're in a position where you can't like spare some money to pay for something, then just Google, go on YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, go on Instagram. There is a wealth of resources that you can tap into and you can experiment and see what works, see what doesn't work, and eventually come to a place where you have something that is completely custom and works effectively for you and your personal brand. Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually, with uh, training courses, because what you tend to find is that um, all of the content in a lot of training courses, I'm not saying all of them, there's probably some which are incredibly valuable, but usually the advantage of paying for a training course is that it just saves time because they've collated everything and put it into bite-sized chunks that you could probably sit down and learn in, you know, in, in, in a few hours or in, in a couple of days. But when you go down the Google and YouTube route, it just takes more time because you need to dig for the information and you don't always know what you don't know. So you don't always know which avenue you need to go down, but you can pretty much learn everything for free. So if you don't know what you need to know, go into like like the, the Logo Geek Facebook group and ask say I want to become a graphic designer what's 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 a good starting point somebody will provide some kind of mentorship uh like like you don't need to tell them that they're mentoring you but you can ask questions and ask people to point you in the right direction mm-hmm. and then that will help you to understand what you need to learn you can then google that you can go onto youtube it's um 
it's pretty cool actually you know when, when you consider that you you don't have to go on like a well you, yeah you don't really have to go to university to learn any of this mm-hmm. stuff you just mm-hmm. need to be curious and, and just willing to actually just go out there and find out this stuff for yourself yeah exactly exactly cool so one of the other topics I want to go into is so on your Instagram uh, you mentioned that you are elevating African narratives through modern design can you tell me more about that um yeah uh definitely so as I was sort of progressing in my graphic design journey I encountered um a book by Prof. Sakimo Fundigua called African Alphabet. And I was completely like drawn in. My interest was immediately picked because like I up until that point did not realize that there was actually a way in which we could use design or more personally as an African, as a young African creative, I didn't realize that I could actually tap into my roots and channel that um, into design so when I went through that book like I was completely like in awe but so inspired and up until that point like um, I've been talking <laughs> I spoke about how you know the beginning of my journey was very chaotic so I did anything and everything uh, yeah. I designed I don't know like the most random things you could have come up to me and said hey my little French bulldog is having a birthday party. Can you make an invite? And I'll be like, yeah. Like, it's the way it is. You need to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can definitely do that. So I had like, you know, I didn't have like a sense. I wouldn't say like a sense of direction, but I didn't really know like who my target market was. I didn't really know what kind of work I wanted to do. But when I encountered that book, like it completely changed my life. So from that moment, I also then started doing my own research and it dawned on me that when we actually look at African expressionism, uh, we see it a lot in like in photography, in music videos, in fine art, but we really see it in brand design. We really see it in UI UX design. Uh, we really we really see it in an I don't know, in web design. So I knew for sure that I wanted to be able to tap into that, not only because it's something that wasn't really seen, but because I wanted to be able to inject part of who I am into my work. And I wanted for other young Africans or Africans at large to be able to see themselves in my work as well. So when I'm talking about elevating African narratives, I'm talking about celebrating how multi-diverse like African narratives are, how rich the culture is, how electric the colors are like how energetic the patterns are like the vibrancy of African culture that is what I want to be able to bring to the forefront so whether it's through logo design whether it's through a packaging design and now through web design I want to be able to tell a story a story that will you know like resonate with the hearts of Africans on the continent Africans in the diaspora people at large who are just interested in learning more about, you know, our stories and what we have to say and just having fun with it and making sure that I represent it like in the best and most gracious way possible, but also make it just so stunning and so beautiful because I think that there's just so much to explore. 
So it's something that is so dear to my heart. I wake up every day and I eat, breathe, you know, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) elevating African narratives. I'm always thinking of ideas and ways in which I can tell a different story. Um, Not necessarily my, just from my own home country, I'm Zimbabwean, but from everywhere and making sure that I also put in like enough research and that sort of thing, because a lot of the resources are not readily available or accessible. So if I need to have conversations with different people, conversations with Simon, for example, or, you know, I need to look for someone on Instagram and be like, hey, I encountered this image. Like, would you know what this means? And that sort of thing. Then I'm willing to do the extra work for that. I got to a lot of craft markets, to a lot of art galleries. I talk to elders in my community. I talk to my grandparents. I'm always very curious and I want to know more and to find out more and to see how best I can explore different ideas. So that is what that means in, in, in its full realm. It's a very short statement, but it's very packed because there's a lot of heart and a lot of soul yeah. and a lot of you know, culture and a lot of respect and grace and beauty that goes into it. Um, Yeah. I know if if you go on your, if uh, listeners go on your website, you share quite a few different things uh, so you know you, you mentioned about the the, the textiles um I've over the last like day or so I've watched a couple of other interviews and videos that you've done so I, I was aware that you was probably going to mention that um African alphabet book and yeah I can see what you, you know some of some of what's in there is stunning you know and and uh, a lot of the textiles the the, the patterns and the colors and, and all this sort of stuff is things that uh personally I'm not familiar with like a, a lot of this stuff that that you're sharing and I, I know our mutual friend uh Simon Charwi is that how you pronounce his surname yeah but, yeah so something that Simon's been doing uh over the past two years couple of years now but he's been I feel taking lead on lead on sharing um, African design and raising awareness of um, African design mm-hmm. because there's a lot of stuff that he's pulled out. It's like I've never seen any of this. This for me, this is all new and and it's really inspiring. And it's nice to see people like you and 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 Simon raising awareness of this and and sharing it and being able to, I, I guess like represent the the origin of like African design I think it's really inspiring to see thank you um, something I do want to ask you and I I don't know if if this is the case but I, I did watch a, a video that Simon did mm-hmm. and he mentioned about design history so graphic design history in like the UK in Europe um I didn't go to university but most books I read it is very American or European, like it focuses on like Swiss design or American design. Mm-hmm. You don't see, you don't see a lot of the uh, African graphic design at all in in any of these books, unless you mm-hmm. get a book like what you said of the the African alphabet. Mm-hmm. Is it is it the case that even in the design history of Africa, that it's also very Eurocentric? Um. So I would not say that the history of African design is Eurocentric because 
Uh, when we look at Africa as a whole, right, the way that different crafts are represented is so, so diverse. So you, you refer to textiles, right? Yeah. Um, of which there could be some um, European influence later on in how they were um, made and produced and that sort of thing. But looking at it at grassroots level when it started, it was all very intuitive. It was women in the community who are coming up with these amazing patterns and like, you know, giving meaning to them and then passing that mm -hmm. on to their daughters so that they could keep it within, you know, the bloodline and everything like that. So even the different ways of making them and like the innovations with like the dyes and using like natural products, like, you know, like bark from trees and that sort of thing. That was all like intentional, like very, uh, but very creative work, you know? So there definitely is um, that aspect of saying that when it comes to like just crafts in, in Africa, like I can, I don't consider them to just be crafts. Like I consider them to be actual design systems, right? Because yeah. we see geometry, right? We see like symmetry. We see, uh, you know, like um, color compositions, like complex layouts. That is all design, right? And we can probably, uh, not probably, we can also then liken this to, to to more conventional design fundamentals, like, you know, like hierarchy or color balance and that sort of thing, right? Yet it already existed within the African context. So the only thing now is that we obviously are in a position where we do not have like a lot of written material that accounts for African design systems because all the books that we read, the books that you read are the books that I've read, right? Uh, the resources that you have used to learn are the same resources that I've learned. But what's now a little bit more different is saying that I'm going to take all that information that I've learned and I'm going to apply it to a context that makes more sense to me and to a context that I hope uh, that other Africans will be able to resonate with. Ultimately, down the line, and Simon also talks about this, we need to be in a position where we decolonize design education, right? In the sense that we need to have our own books as Africans. Like, we need to have our own systems. We need to document, like, all of these, quote-unquote, crafts, right, that have existed because they are design systems. Um, um, they are, yeah, they are design systems in their own. So we need to be able to have documentation for that and have future learners learn from that, but also have you know, some form of modernism that allows for us to still uh, deliver relevant work in 2022 and 2025 and 2040. So yeah, um, it's it's definitely like a, a big topic and there's a lot that can be said about it, but yeah, we are currently learning from a very Eurocentric standard, but I think what makes a difference nowadays is taking all those design fundamentals that we know and we learn and we apply them to our different contexts. So whether it's going to be minimalist, which is also still so beautiful, right? But it would not necessarily apply in my world because I believe that there's nothing minimal about being an African, being an African. Uh, we have very big personalities. We're very loud. We're very, you know, like colorful, vibrant people. So the design may look a little bit different but it is still sound at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, so I, I actually find 
the position that you and and Simon and other graphic designers in in Africa are, are in now, to be honest. And I, I've spoken to Simon a, a lot. I, I know we're we're mutual friends with him, but you're in this awesome position where none of this stuff is documented to the 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 same degree that a lot of like swiss design and, and american graphic designers you guys can actually take lead on that and actually create the all of the study material that people can use and apply um which i find really exciting that you know you guys are in that position where you can do that and i know simon's uh kind of taking the ball by the horns on that and and uh leading that and pulling that together and documenting all of that stuff which, which is really cool but also I, th I think it's important as well because um in my last job <laughs> I I used to do web design and we had this client from um I think they were based in Abu Dhabi mm -hmm. so not from the UK so most of the clients that I work with are, are UK based and what that means is that I understand the culture here. I understand what people are like. I understand, you know, the the graphic design sense here. So I know what people are used to and what they expect and, and all that sort of stuff. But working with that client in Abu Dhabi, obviously the, the, there are differences in the culture. So what I designed initially wasn't right for them. <laughs> like I, I included pictures that were... I guess what I'm more familiar with, but they require different pictures, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And yeah, I, I learned a lot from that experience. Um, also just working with a client was a diff different experience. Like in, in Abu Dhabi, they're, they're more direct and more firm in terms of how they communicate with people. So that it, it was very much a learning experience for both the account managers and uh, the uh, graphic design team. Um, but it, by the sound of it, in in Africa, you mentioned about more color and um, you know all this sort of stuff. And I think it's important that when you are creating work that's directed towards people in Africa, that you want you have an understanding of that, and you can apply that to your work in a way that seems appropriate. So it doesn't really make sense that the study material that you're learning from is very Eurocentric. Is you know that we're learning from the same material because actually there should probably be other material that you should be learning as well and it sounds mm -hmm. like right here right now that material just doesn't exist yeah um so you know stuff that you're doing like just these conversations now and what simon's doing hopefully it's raising awareness that this stuff needs to be created mm -hmm. and it's really i think it's really exciting to be in a position where actually you guys can go I can take lead on this. I can be the one that documents this. Yeah. And in a way, you guys can go down in history as being some of the pioneers of uh, graphic design in Africa just purely because of the, the uh, position that you're in, which I, I think is really exciting. Um, yeah, I think when you say it like that, like, I just got goosebumps, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I know I've spoken to Simon about this type of thing. I, I know when he was... Uh, talking about potentially doing it I was saying similar to things to him and he's worked really hard and uh, I sense the same in you as well so I I, I kind of think you guys should team up and maybe pour some other people in and just continue um, going down that going down that road of pulling this stuff out and sharing it and showing people mm -hmm. because 
you know, what you spoke about, how uh, people learn how to do the textiles. I don't know any of that stuff. You know, how the only way of knowing that is by having a conversation with you. So, you know, those stories can be documented and pulled out and uh, that can become very much part of your identity, which I feel you're you're already going down the avenue anyway. Uh, but yeah, personally, I think you should push it more because it makes uh, it's it's interesting content, but actually p- puts you in a position where you are like a leader in that space, and you know you you have that uh, that perspective that's very much you, <laughs> and share that with people that just don't get exposed to it but I could never write about that just because I'm not I don't have access to that but you do mm-hmm. which is cool <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm I'm literally getting goosebumps as you're talking because um it's it's definitely an exciting time and there's so much potential yeah. so much it is yeah. it is exciting you know we've all got the internet now and like I said when I started learning graphic design which you know it's like 15 years ago all of these materials didn't exist there was no youtube all of these things that we're used to now like facebook google youtube they are really new in the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. like it's such new technology and you know that's given us this platform to tell stories about anything and um yeah you guys have all this material that can be shared so i'm excited for you for simon and for anyone else listening that that's you know got that african background because you know get that stuff out share it you don't have to follow the standard uh books that everyone follows you can you know resurface all of this stuff and take ownership of it yeah it's cool. yeah definitely cool well i think that's probably a good point to wrap up the interview uh it's been absolutely amazing uh chatting with you i really enjoyed speaking about you know how you uh, pivoted from working as uh, studying as a scientist and then becoming a graphic designer, uh, becoming more focused as you go. And uh, yeah, a, a little bit of a overview of, of some of the African design stuff as well. So thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's also been super cool hearing your story. And like, it's even more cool that we seem to have gone through like the same kind of yeah very similar yeah and I hope you know anyone listening who wants to become a graphic designer has been inspired by that because I really do think that's just the genuine path just gradually learn and you know get sucked into all the resources that are out there you don't have to do it overnight it can be a gradual slow thing but both of us here we're both I think successful graphic designers but we taught ourselves so Hopefully someone listening out there can do the same. Yay. (laughs) Thank you so much, Fungi, for coming on the podcast. It's really nice to speak with you. Uh, So if you want to learn more about Fungi, go and check out her website, fungidebay.com. I'll link to that in the show notes, along with her social profiles and a transcription of the interview. Uh, To find it, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash 127. And don't forget to go and check out the sponsor of this podcast, The Perfect Match, and start working on 
uh, your mood board design for a chance to win $1,000. To find out more about that, head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash logogeek. So thank you so much for listening. And I'll be back the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.